Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Monday, February 6th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political correspondent Tal Schneider and senior analyst Khaviv Retigor. Hello, good morning to you both. Hi, Jessica. Good morning, Jessica. Hi. Headlines this morning are focused on the devastating earthquake in northern Syria and southern Turkey that has killed hundreds of people in the region. Israel is offering to send aid to Turkey as it grapples with the aftermath. The quake was also felt by some residents of Israel, although there was no damage reported. We'll also talk about possible incitement against the prime minister and the president's call to pause on the judicial reforms, as well as what is going on with the political leadership on the left. Before we jump into all of that, we're going to take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Tal. So in the wake of this devastating earthquake, Israel is offering aid to Turkey, given that the two countries have renewed their relationship in recent months. Do you think we're going to see that? There is a history of this in Israel and Turkey's past. What can you tell us? Right. Uh, so the renewed relationship happened uh, just a year ago, I mean, uh, even a little bit less than a year ago, uh, with the uh, President Herzog visiting Turkey after 10 years of cold and non-relationship. We have an ambassador there. I'm sure that, you know, Israeli authorities have already um, offered help, and I'm pretty sure they will send, you know, a plane full of equipment and uh, rescue workers or rescue soldiers. It happened in the past. Israel actually sent rescue uh, operations all around the world. Uh, to many places. We have a pretty good group of people who are both in reserve duty and in um, you know IDF duty that can be shipped immediately. We are very close to the disaster area, I think one hour flight away. And uh, this is something that took place in the history between the country. We do remember 1999, huge earthquake in Izmit, who killed lots of people. And at the time, Israel sent rescuer. Um, you know, we didn't have the same equipment and uh, management skill, but still at the time, Israel sent a rescue team. And the, the event is like one of the biggest events in Israel's memory, history memory, when their rescuer pulled out of the rubble um, an Israeli teenager, Shiran uh, Franco, who, were, who was staying with her family at the place. And um, I mean, they, they pulled her out. She was just a child at the time. I think they pulled her out after a couple of days. They're not looking for Israeli casualties when they go to Turkey, obviously. I mean, even I, I'm pretty sure they will dispatch something 
pretty fast. I don't think they're looking for Israeli casualties. Let me also mention that this earthquake is, is you know, bigger on the scale. It's 7.7. And it took place on the border of Israel and Syria, which may be a little bit more complicated for, for, for you know, for the, for the soldiers. Right. So what does that mean then, given the fact that, that this is happening on the border of Israel with Syria? Is there any potential for Israel also to help Syria, maybe through Turkey, right? We don't have diplomatic relations. We're technically in a state of war with Syria. But all of the all of those capabilities, field hospitals, things we know how to do, we can work with Turkey. Turkey's right now in Syria, in northern Syria. Is that something that, that uh, has some potential? Right. So the foreign affairs minister already offered this morning assistance to Turkey. But let me just tell you that one coalition member, Boaz Bismuth, uh, said on Israel's IDF radio that Israel uh, should help uh, Syrians' casualties as well. Syria is defined as a enemy state, but during the uh, revolution in Syria in the last decade, Israel opened a field hospital on the Golan Heights and helped Syrians' uh, casualties to be treated uh, across the border and then sometimes back into Syria or sometimes um, with you know uh, placement elsewhere. Uh, some some of those casualties were taken actually into Israel's hospitals in Sfat. It's like an hour away from the border. Uh, so it was done. Israel done this in the past. Uh, we do, I think Israel has a good ability to set up weak hospitals uh, everywhere around the world. We do remember the field hospital that was set up in uh, on the Ukrainian-Polish border just a year ago, and I think it was uh, on the spot for, for like six months or so. So um, this is the very different because the, the, you know, the casualties are in a different situation. Some people will be displaced or, you know, already dead. It's, um, it's a different way of assistance, but it can, it can be done. And I'm pretty sure it's uh, on the table at the moment as we speak. Interesting. All right. We'll obviously keep on following that story. Moving into a different topic, Tala, and staying with you. There have been comments over the last days, really weak, uh, threatening Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, comments that sound a lot like incitement. And in a sense, those were the comments that seemed to finally draw President Isaac Herzog to publicly come out against the planned judicial reforms and urge a slowdown in the process. Where do you really think we are in this whole situation? Is it going to really make any difference in terms of the planned judicial reform? Right. So first we have to say that Ze'ev Raz, a former um, combat pilot, was one of the pilots who attacked the uh, Iraqi nuclear reactor back in 1981. He's 77 or something. He actually wrote very, very harsh and, and wrong, you know, status on his Facebook, threatening on the prime minister for din or death. It means under Jewish uh, religious principle, this is like a, a death note or something like that harsh things. He took it off after 24 hours, but already invited to a police investigation yesterday for this um, uh, threatening. Uh, Netanyahu uh, took this seriously and was, uh, you know, he said that he expect Israel's liberal enough to condemn this. And um, many of them actually did it very fast, even before he said, he said so. But, um, you know, this gives you the way the atmosphere and the discourse is right now in Israel. It's wrong 
it's hurtful, it's damaging, and uh, you know things that should, that are being said shouldn't shouldn't be um, you know said at 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 all. Um, just unbelievable way of uh, conducting things. Um, so obviously the, the president, her president Herzog. Um, Yesterday, he called out all of the parties to put a pose um, to the judicial shakeup. He said, you know, you know, put a halt to the legislator. Just come to the table and talk. Just, you know, stop. Take you know, a deep breath. Listen to the other side. We don't have to rush this. Um, the problem is that I think that Justice Minister Yariv Levin kind of, you know, I don't want to say, yeah, it kind of blew him off. He said, you know, no, 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 we are continuing with the legislation. We don't want to halt things. If the other side wants to come, they can come to the Knesset for the, you know, hearings. They can, you know, speak up their minds out there. We will, you know, continue as usual. So not really, um, you know, the gesture uh, remained uh, unanswered at the moment. The threats are not from people on the fringe of society. So the question is, how do we look at that in that sense? Uh, right. It's, as I said, they were coming from a, a combative pilot. And a prominent lawyer. Uh, and, another, and another prominent lawyer who did not threat the, the prime minister specifically, but said that if this country will become a dictatorship, he will protect himself with guns. He did not make threats directly at the prime minister. But, uh, you know, the discourse is se- severe and, and it's um, unpleasant enough. You don't have to pull guns into, into this, uh, you know... Um, the, the atmosphere here that things are going in the very wrong direction. Some, you know, some media outlets call this a reform. The other media outlets call this uh, a coup. You can't really find the middle line in all of this. So, I mean, even even off on the talking points or on the people cannot agree on how to call this. They think Israel is going to be a dictatorship. Some people p- people think that Israel is going to be better separation of powers. Personally, I don't think that it's. I don't think it's going to a better separation of powers, I think it's going towards too many powers for the executive branch, but I wouldn't call it a dictatorship. So, you know, it's, uh, I think Herzog is really trying to calm things down. Unfortunately, it is not successful at the moment. Okay, thanks for that, Tal. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Khaviv will talk about what is happening with Israel's left. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Okay. So, Khaviv, tell us what you've been 
thinking and writing about. Uh, I know you have a piece coming out about this. Where is the left right now? What has happened to them? Are they even at the protests that have been happening on a weekly basis on Saturday nights around the country? Right. We just heard from Tal um, about how the right is is determined to continue pushing forward um, with its judicial overhaul, its judicial reforms. And one of the really interesting things about the last month, um, we've seen tremendous anxiety and tremendous mobilization on the center-left uh, among opposition parties, 150,000 people coming out to a single protest. And there have been protest after protest after protest sustained for a, a solid month. Um, something extraordinary is happening at the bottom. There's a tremendous amount of fear in the street. Um, among in areas where uh, the voters are center-left voters or vote for the parties of the opposition. Um, but what you haven't seen is the leadership. You have not seen the uh, political leadership of the center-left beginning a serious discussion on compromises, beginning to suggest their own versions of a judicial uh, reform. A lot of people on left and right agree that the Israeli judiciary is a little bit out of balance. It's a little bit too powerful. Some of them think it's a very, very much too powerful. But um, there's also a, tr a, a really significant agreement across the board that there aren't enough constitutional institutions in general in Israel. We don't have a, a, a bicameral parliament. We don't have regional representation. We don't have a real separation of any kind between executive and legislative. And so we have very, very few of the institutions that hold together other democracies and that would calm the fears that weakening the court is going to actually profoundly hurt the ability of people to exercise and defend their rights. And so we don't actually hear anything from that left-wing leadership. All we're hearing is the kind of language that produces uh, people convinced that the dictator is about to rise, and so they have to pull a, a Brutus, so to speak. They have to be ready to kill the dictator. And there is this increase in, in talk, um, in very radicalized, very angry, and sometimes very violent talk on the left. It's still very much on the edges of the left or the center left, but it is there and it is new and, and it is happening. I'm working now on a piece that should run very, very soon. It's, it's, it's pretty much finished where essentially the argument is when you go into the Knesset and you actually look at the number of hours that center left MKs have spent in the Knesset, the, it's shocking that how absent they are. They're not in the committees. They're not in the debates. They're not in the plenum. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, the coalition wanted to, expand what's called the Norwegian law, which allows MKs to come into the Knesset to replace people appointed to the cabinet, allowing there to be more functional working MKs in the Knesset. Um, the coalition, the right wing, wanted to expand this so that it would have more people in committees, and the center-left decided to filibuster to prevent that from happening. And they started a filibuster, and about an hour and a half in, they had to stop the filibuster because all the members of Knesset of the National Unity Party from the opposition had gone home and hadn't stuck around for their own filibuster. In other words, they won't even show up, right? And, and it's ironic because they were fighting against the rights attempt to be able to have more people and spend more hours in the Knesset and working. And, and so we have a situation today that's really worth looking at and, 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 and looking at very, very critically. Without getting into the substance of the judicial reform at all, 
the fact is that the center-left leadership is just not there. It's checked out. It's not showing up. It's literally not showing up in committee. Uh, there, it, there are exceptions, important exceptions. Uh, Labor member of Knesset Gilad Kariv, every day that the uh, judicial that the law committee meets, he's sitting there hammering away at the right wing and at the opposition. Yeshatid um, MK uh, Beliak, Vladimir Beliak, is in the finance committee working on the budget and hammering away, and sometimes completely thanklessly, and, and he has no hope of winning any votes, but he does tweak and change slightly the legislation going through just by being there and articulating uh, and finding problems and, 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 and being present. The vast majority of the political leadership of the center-left just isn't present. It's not at the protest, sometimes because protesters don't want them there, a lot of the times because they literally just didn't show up. Yair Lapid at the first massive protest didn't come and hadn't been asked not to come. He just didn't bother showing up. And then because of the criticism of him, he, that, he now has started to show up at these protests. So there's something wrong on the center-left, and with the, if, if, if you want to stop this judicial overhaul and you vote center-left, you should be more worried about that uh, than a right-winger who just wants to criticize them for it. But there is this missing uh, leadership and, and, and a missing alternative. Just killing, I, you know, Yariv Levine, President Herzog said, let's stop everything and go to a conversation. In Israel, it's possible to stop everything temporarily and never get back to it. And I, I understand Yariv Levine saying, no, I'm not stopping this legislation. You want to come and talk, come and talk. We're not now taking a six-month pause and the government could fall and there could be, you know. Literally yesterday, I believe it was, uh, Otsma Yehudit leader Itamar Ben-Gvir threatened the government that he would leave in three months if his own right policies weren't passed. And so an Israeli coalition is always unstable. Yariv Levine wants this to happen. He can't afford to have it free. Where's the alternative? Where's the leadership? And 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 I think that's something we should start talking about a lot more. It, it, it's we've criticized the right plenty. I'm a big fan of criticizing. It's time to criticize the left in a very significant way. We will obviously see how this plays out. Thank you so much, Chaviv, and thank you, Tal, for being on today's daily briefing. Thank you, Jessica. Goodbye, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow with another daily briefing. In the meantime, stay warm and uh, wishing everyone well in the earthquake regions. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.